Well, it's good to see everybody this morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name's Nate. So glad that you're here. And would you welcome everybody watching online or in our video venue right now? Just want to let you guys know. So glad that you're tuning in. And I've been loving the series that we're in as we've been walking through the book of John and we've been looking at this unique factor of Jesus uh, because the more you read about Jesus, what's incredible about him is this. Jesus always started wherever someone was at. You know, in this room, all of us, we have a different story. Maybe you've grown up in the church before. Maybe this is your first time here at a church and you're going, what is going on? And you're singing karaoke on the screens, you know, and this whole thing is kind of weird and different and, you know, all this coffee stuff. And, and the beautiful thing is this about Jesus and what we're going to find every week is he always started where someone was at. And this is why I love this story about my grandpa. He turned 94 last week, and uh, he was a hog farmer. And when I was born uh, in 1982, uh, the, what was something that was brand new at the time was called uh, drive-throughs uh, at McDonald's. And uh, I remember my dad told me this story uh, where grandpa, he had us kids in the back, and he pulled up the drive-through because when you start having kids, that's it. You don't want to get them out of the car. And he pulled up, and he put his order in, and they said, sir, that's going to take a little while. Would you pull around? And this is what he said. No! He said, this is why I've come to the drive-thru. And he wouldn't move. He said, I'm just going to sit right here. And I went, Grandpa, that's where we get it from. All right, you know, but there was this whole deal. of He was going, no. And sometimes we have this perspective in the world is we don't start where people are. We expect the world to start where we are. And we go, the world better understand where I'm at and my demands and what's going on in my life. But the beautiful thing that Jesus did and what we're going to learn about today is Jesus always started where people were. He didn't expect them to have it all together, but he met them right where they were. And today we're going to be looking at a story of Nicodemus where Jesus looks and he meets this man who's a spiritual man. He's a Pharisee. Next week we're going to see how Jesus interacted with the woman at the well. If you've heard that story before, she was desperate for hope in her life. And he meets her and he tells her something different than he tells Nicodemus today. And then what we find is he finds another man who needs healing and he says something different to him. And then we're going to look at the story where he meets a woman who's caught in adultery. And he says something different to her because Jesus is always meeting people right where they're at. And he's meeting us right where we're at today. And he wants to speak to us. And he wants to talk with us. And he wants to lead us. And sometimes when I look at the store and I go, man, that's so cool. Because Jesus loved when it was tough. In different situations where it was tough, he still loved and he adjusted to what was going on. And I began to think about it. I'm like, man, who, who's really like lived that out in my life? Who's been someone that has loved when it was tough? It would have been a whole lot easier just to hate what was going on, but they chose to love when it was tough. And someone, this person came to my mind as soon as I thought about this, this was the person who came to my mind of someone who always loved when it was tough, All right? <laughs> Mr. Rogers. And uh, anybody grow up on him, man? That's why I grew up on all that PBS, all that stuff. What was his tagline? Won't you be my what? Neighbor. This is why he spans so many generations. You know why? He always started where someone was at. Won't you be my neighbor? Now, here's the deal. If someone's going to be your neighbor, you got to get to know them, right? And you're like, that's exactly why I don't want any neighbors, right? That's why, like, some of you buy a bunch of land, and you go, nobody's my neighbor. <laughs> but the beautiful thing about Mr. Rogers was this. Over decades, all this other stuff, he was a devout Christian, but what he used to show, and somebody, we go, oh, you want to, you know, who wants to be my neighbor? Will you be my neighbor? And we go, that's just Mr. Rogers. No, no, no. What he was doing is this. He was practicing Mark chapter 12, where Jesus was asked, what is 
the most important command in the entire Bible. And Jesus says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Mr. Rogers, if you're going to get in a bar fight, you probably don't call him. Right, he's not the tough dude that you're looking to have your back. But if you want to learn the ways of loving when it's tough, you need to pay attention to his life. I hadn't had a chance to see his documentary that came out, but I saw a clip, and it was one of the stories that, to me, I had no, you know, I grew up in, in the 80s watching him. I had no idea about how really subversive Mr. Rogers was to the culture. In 1968, Mr. Rogers did something that was profound, Again, you look at him, he's like, oh, he's a wiry guy. There's nothing tough about him. He was one of the toughest guys because this is what he did. One of my favorite stories that I just learned about Mr. Rogers was this. In 1968, in the height, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. had just been assassinated four months before, and Mr. Rogers was paying attention to this. And in 1968, there was a man who came and sang at his church in Pittsburgh. His name was Francis Clemens. He was a black opera singer. And after he came to Mr. Rogers' church and he sang for the church, he went up to him after the show and he said, I want you to be on my show. And Francis said, that's, that's awesome, man. That's incredible. What do you want me to do? He said, I want you to be a police officer. And Francis said, uh, I'd rather not. I'd rather not. Because it was at that time and in Francis' family history he came from a history of slavery where his family had been tortured by police who had sucked, you know, had dogs go after them, go spray him with hoses, terrorize his family. And he went, the idea of police is not my idea of what I want to be on TV. And Mr. Rogers said, I know that. I want to change how the world sees what's going on. Francis said, okay, I'll come on your show. Mr. Rogers was also doing something very subversive when he did this. Francis became the first black actor on any children's program. Mr. Rogers was being very intentional with what he was doing. He brings Francis on the show as Officer Clemens to show a different way that the police are supposed to behave. And not only did he do this, he brought him on in this episode. He brings Francis on and he has this kiddie pool and he says, boy, it's hot. And he puts his feet in the kiddie pool. There's a picture of it. And you look at that and you go, well, that's funny. Did you know at that time blacks and whites couldn't swim in the same pool? Mr. Rogers knew that was not right. And what he did was this. He said, Francis, I want you to come on my show as a police officer. And he said, I want you to put your feet in the same pool that I'm in. And then he took another step further and he did what Jesus did. And when they put their feet out of the pool on national TV, he said, Officer Clemens, would you let me wash your feet? And he had the nation watch a white man wash a black man's feet. That is tough love when hate was too easy at the time. See, this whole idea of tough love, sometimes we go, oh, well, you know, I'm not made of it and I can't have this and I don't know. And Jesus goes, I have another way for you to live. The question for you and I today is, are we listening to the tough love of Jesus? James, Jesus' brother, who went on to later write the book of James, writes this in James chapter 1, verse 19. He says this, my dear brothers, take note of this. 
everyone, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We reverse that, don't we? You go, boy, I got a fuse on me, right? And we're quick to become angry, and we're quick to speak, and then we go, what'd you say? And we're ready to fire. We're ready to make the Facebook comment. We're ready to make the post. We're ready to go. And we never want to stop and take the time to actually listen. That's why we've got to pay attention to the ways of Jesus. And we've got to pay attention to the ways of Jesus with every single person because he doesn't say the same thing to everybody else. He's always paying attention to who's around him. He's always meeting people where they're at. He doesn't just have blanket statements that go for everybody in every situation. That's why as Christians, we can't just put stuff up on Facebook or go around saying the same thing because it might not be meeting people where they're at. As a matter of fact, you might actually be doing harm to the kingdom of God because you're not listening to where the world is at. This is why John chapter 3 is so important for us today is because Jesus starts by listening to where Nicodemus is at. And I love it. He always started where we are in our life. And listen to what he says in John chapter 3. The, the, the author, John, Jesus' best friend, begins to recount this story. He says this in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. He said, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night, which is important because as being a Pharisee, he didn't want anybody to know that he was coming to Jesus. And he says to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now we look at this story and we go, okay, that's just kind of normal. It's just a guy coming to talk to Jesus. What's the big deal? Well, let me give you a little context here. In this time, only men could own property. And women were actually treated like property. And so already Nicodemus has a leg up in society. He's a Pharisee, which means he's a religious man. He knows the Old Testament. Matter of fact, they believe that Pharisees had the first five books of the Bible memorized. Not highlighted like me and kind of underlined, memorized. He was devout. He was a Pharisee. He loved the word of God. And then it said he was one of the rulers on the Jewish council, which means he was smart, he was seasoned, and he was well off financially. He had his life together. Everything was together. And then he comes to Jesus and he begins to call him teacher. He says, Rabbi, obviously we can see you're a great teacher and you're doing all these great things. But listen to Jesus' response. He meets Nicodemus right where he is. And this is what he tells him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, some of you are going, here we go with those Jesus terms, born again. What in the world are we talking about? Nicodemus felt the same way. Listen to what he says in verse 4. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Anybody ever been just lost in a sermon? Don't raise your hand if you're lost now, all right? But you know what I'm saying, but you're going, you just get there and you go, I don't know what this guy is saying. Can we just please end this? I want to go play golf, you know, let, let's get on to it. Nicodemus is there. He came to Jesus and he goes, obviously you're a teacher. He's going, I'm a good guy. And Jesus gives him an answer he wasn't looking for. Here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus will always meet you where you are but he won't leave you there. 
You ever found that? Oh, he met you where you, where you are in life. He just go, I'm just not going to leave you there. I love you too much to leave you there. And he begins to tell Nicodemus, that's great. You're a Pharisee. That's great. You call me teacher. That's great. You do all this other stuff. You're on the Jewish council. That's great. You must be born again. We use this phrase, you know, some of you here today, you're, you're not on any Jewish council. You're not a Pharisee. But we say these phrases, I'm a self-made man. I've created this from scratch. And there's some of these things in our life that we hold to that we define our identity by. And what Jesus challenged Nicodemus was this. I know you're a spiritual man. I know you're a religious man. I'm telling you this, unless... God changes you from the inside out. You won't see the kingdom of God. Your good works will not make up for what God needs to do in your heart. You need to be born again. You need to be born again. If you're following along, you'll want to write this down. Jesus tells us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. That's tough, isn't it? Man, Jesus tells Nicodemus, what he needs to hear, not just what he wanted to hear. And listen to his response. Sometimes we hear stuff from Jesus and we go, we say what Nicodemus says here in verse 9. He just says, how can this be? Jesus goes on to tell him that he needs to be born again, that the Spirit needs to change him from the inside out. It's not just about being a good person. This is about God doing a good work in us because, no, we are broken people. And he says, how can this be? And Jesus tells him, he says, you are Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things? Don't you understand that God's got to do a work in you? It's not just how good you are outside. And so Jesus, if he's like, fine, man, you call me teacher. I'm going to take you to school. He takes him to school. Look at what he says in verse 14. I love this. He goes old, old school on him, and he pulls out an Old Testament story. In verse 14, listen to what he says to him. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And what Jesus is doing is he's referencing the story in Numbers chapter 21. If you want to read a good story and go, that's in the Bible, go read Numbers 21 this afternoon. Here's what happens. God brings the Israelites out of Egypt. They were in slavery. He rescues them. He takes them out and he provides. And as they're in the desert, they start getting mad at God. And they start going, you know what? This food is detestable, God. And why would you bring us out here? We could have been slaves and treated better in Egypt. And they just start complaining and whining. And they said this. The scripture says this. Not only did they go against God, they went against Moses. They started attacking the leader. And so you know what God does in Numbers chapter 21? He releases venomous snakes on them. Maybe church traffic isn't that bad, right? And, and, uh, and maybe this complimentary coffee, you know, maybe it's actually pretty good. Actually, this is the best coffee I've ever had, you know. Boy, when snakes get in, they're like, hey, no, I love the Lord. All right. And it said, actually, these snakes bit people and they died. Then the people turned their tune and they said, Moses, help us, have the Lord, save us. And so he cries out to God. He goes, hey, God, save us. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a bronze pole with a snake at the top. And anybody who's been bitten by a snake would look up at this pole and it would save them. You're sick, you're going to die, all you have to do is look up and it will save you. Jesus takes a story that this man knows 
And he says, hey, you know that whole thing of when Moses lifted up the snake and everybody was healed and all they had to do was look at him? He goes, so the son of man needs to be lifted up. And where was Jesus lifted up? A cross. And what venom did he take? Our sin. What he's telling Nicodemus is this. I don't need you just to be a better person. Nicodemus, I just need you to look up. I just need you to look at me. I just need you to allow me to save you. For whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What he's telling Nicodemus is this. I don't need you just to call me teacher. I need you to call me savior. Because we know how we treat a substitute teacher, don't we? I know how I did, right? Uh, yeah, my normal teacher would just let me go through the halls, right? You know, like we would make stuff up. Well, if your teacher let you, okay. You know, like we would make stuff up, man. We just run circles around a substitute teacher. And what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, what he's saying to you and I is this. I don't need just to be your teacher. Matter of fact, I won't be able to be your teacher unless you let me be your savior. See, Jesus meets us right where we are. He met Nicodemus right there. He goes, oh, that's good. You call me teacher. I don't need to be your teacher. I need to be your savior. Are we listening to that tough love that meets us right where we are but calls us to where we need to be? See, this is the beauty of what Jesus does. He meets Nicodemus right there, but he doesn't leave him, which this, when I'm, I'm sitting here putting myself in Nicodemus's shoes going, well, this isn't how I thought this was going to go. Matter of fact, this was the, the image that came to my mind. I thought this probably represented what Nicodemus looked like that night after hearing this truth from Jesus. I thought he looked like this, you know, <laughs> great Scott. I came here just to hang out. Jesus is blowing my mind. That's what Jesus does. He meets us right where we are, and then he doesn't leave us there. What does it look like to live out this tough love? What does that look like? Jesus begins to express God's heart for this because, again, it's not about will you do good and you got to be better. Listen what he says, verse 16. Maybe you've heard of John 3.16 before. It, this is said in this context to a man who didn't understand who Jesus was. So if you don't understand Jesus today, listen to this because Jesus wants you to understand his tough love for you. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That he gave. See, that's what love does. Love doesn't just say, I love you. Love thanks of others. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to what? To save it. You may not think that you're worth saving, but Jesus looks at you and goes, yes, you are. That's why I came into this world. I didn't come to condemn you. I came to save you. Would you look up at me? Quit looking at yourself and condemning yourself. Look at me so I can save you. And whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. I love that the heart of Jesus would share John 3.16 with one person at night who didn't have their life together. Doesn't that give you hope? Gives me hope, man. I'm going that God would unleash this love, that he would meet Nicodemus right where he's at and love him. So how do we begin to live this out? 
How do we begin to live these lives that go, man, we want to love like that. Now, I don't want to just be Mr. Rogers. You know, sweaters make me itchy, all right? So I can't, I can't do that. But how do I love tough like him? How do I love like Jesus where I meet people right where they are? Because sometimes I want the world to meet me where I am. But Jesus goes, no, I need you to meet the world where they are. How do we begin to do that? If you're following along, you want to write this in. This is what we got to understand from the ways of Jesus. That tough love starts small. Sometimes we feel like, oh, we got to go love the world and we got to go love all of them. And you go, man, my brain hurts and I don't even like my neighbors and I'm just going to go watch Netflix. Right? You're just like, just, I, I tried. Jesus, I tried. Like, you didn't even put a shirt on. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you know, you didn't even get out of the house to go love somebody. Tough love just starts small. This is what Jesus did. He, you, we'll see repeatedly. And we use this phrase all the time. And, and I, I, I crack up when everybody, anytime somebody comes up to me and they say this, they go, Nate, can I talk to you for a second? I said, sure. They go, I know you're busy. Have you found out everybody's busy? But isn't this true? I, I think this is what's fascinating to me, that even though Jesus was so busy, because he's the savior of the world, he's got a few things going. Like, Jesus, have you seen my calendar? He's like, have you seen mine? <laughs> Got the world waiting on me. Jesus makes time for one. You see it happen over and over again. He's always starting small. He's always just looking up. God, who do you have for me today? God, I'm looking up. God, how, how, how do you, you want to use me today for your glory? This week, God was showing off. We, uh, we've had a Nigerian family who's been with us here for the past month. And uh, a phenomenal story. Uh, uh, Chidi is, is, is the dad's name. And uh, this is the family picture. They came here about a month ago. And uh, super sweet family from Nigeria. He's an engineer. And uh, his daughter on the far left is going to be a sophomore at Penn State. And his daughter on the far right, the reason why they're here is because she's coming to the Purdue campus here on Charlestown Road. A month ago, they get here. They get off the plane at the airport. They walk up to the rental counter and they say, can you tell us a church that we should go to? We still don't know who it was. The car rental person goes, you ought to go to Northside. A month ago, a Nigerian family shows up here. Chidi. He comes here, he sits in the services, we, we begin to know their family story. Turns out him and his family have been reading the Bible for the past two and a half years. Learning about God, growing in wisdom about God. And he came here and he said, I hear and I'm seeing the lives be changed in baptism and I'm seeing these things. I'm ready to get baptized. And on Tuesday we baptized Chidi, the dad, and on Wednesday we baptized his son, Chidi Jr. Man, it was such a neat, neat moment. Now, here's what's great. Afterwards, the whole Nigerian family and a bunch of us staff, we went and ate at Asian Buffet here in New Albany, Indiana. That is the kingdom of God. A Nigerian family, Asian Buffet, New Albany, Indiana. That's why Jesus says, unless you're born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. See, to be born again, to have our lives changed, isn't so Jesus can punish us or hold us and check and be mean. He goes, I want you to see a world that you don't get to see. You know how that moment happened? 
Because someone at a car rental place said, I'm going to look up. And I'm going to start small. Oh, here's one family. I'm going to love them. See, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. It starts small. We don't know how to love the world. We don't know. The world's too big for us. Can you start small? But what we find Jesus doing is this. Not only does he start small, tough love, invest big. You want to make an impact on this world? Love one person, but love them well. Put, invest your life into people well. That's what Jesus did. He started with one person who was embarrassed. Nicodemus came to him at night because he, he didn't want all the other Pharisees to know that he was there. He was embarrassed to be associated with Jesus. And Jesus goes, that's all right. I'll meet you right there in your embarrassment. That's okay. That's okay, man. You're embarrassed to go to church. You're embarrassed to be known as Christian. That's all right. I'm going to meet you right where you are. And I'm going to love you. And Jesus just invest in him. And he invest in him. And he invest in him. One of the ways that we can ask ourselves what we think about the world is this, about how we're investing in the world, is simply to ask yourself this question. How do you look at the world? How do you look at the world? What's your view? Because Jesus said this, that the Father sent the Son into the world not to what? Not to condemn it, but to what? To save it. Turns out we don't invest in anything that we don't want to save, do we? That's That's why if you've ever rented a rental car, you've never washed it before you returned it. Matter of fact, this is what I say when I get in it. I floor it and I go, it's a rental, right? Like the transmission drops out like 6,000 miles into the car because that's what we do to rentals. We go, I don't own it. It's not mine. I'm going to drive this thing into the ground. It'll only have three wheels when it gets back to the rental car place because you go, it's not mine. And that's how we invest in the world around us if we're not careful. The reason why Jesus invested so big, it's not just because he was Jesus. He said, I'm here to save the world, not to condemn the world. And if we're not careful, this is what we'll do. We'll begin to look at other countries and even our own country or other people around the world that we don't like, and we'll just say stuff like this, nuke them. What do I care? I'm about my country. No, we need to be quick to be able to condemn wrongdoing in this world. Even in our own country, we need to be able to condemn it if it's not of God. I don't care what level, presidency, pastors, if it's not of God, we need to feel the freedom to condemn it. But we better be quick to have the heart of Jesus that says we want to see this world saved. I'm telling you this, you won't invest in this world if you don't think you want to see this world saved. Jesus came to invest in this world. Jesus came and he laid his life down and into this world. How do you view the world? How do you view this world? Because what's fascinating is this. Jesus, man, he unleashes all this love, all this compassion on Nicodemus. And then you know what? There's no baptism story. Like Chidi. Doesn't say Nicodemus went down to the baptistry. They played Amazing Grace. It was amazing. He bowed his head. He prayed to It's not in there. Well, here's what happens. You keep reading and you turn over to John chapter 7. And you see this amazing thing happening. But Jesus began to work in Nicodemus' life. 
John chapter 7, verse 50. It said this, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, talking about the Pharisees, because at this time the Pharisees didn't want to listen to Jesus. They actually wanted to kill Jesus, and it was the Pharisees who got Jesus killed. Nicodemus is still riding around with them, and he said he had gone to Jesus and who was with one of his own number, the the Pharisees, and this is what he tells him. He says, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? He's like, I know you guys want to kill Jesus, but doesn't like our own law say that, that we have to first listen to him to find out what he's doing? Shouldn't we listen before we react? Shouldn't we listen before we hate? Shouldn't we listen before we want to kill people? They replied to him, are you from Galilee too? That's a lot of the response that we get when we begin to give tough love to this world, isn't it? When we begin to listen, people begin to mock us. Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. They're going, Jesus came from Galilee. The scripture says no prophet comes out of Galilee. Where was Jesus born? Anybody remember Christmas story? Bethlehem. You know what the Pharisees simply needed to do? Listen. That's all they had to do. Let me just listen to his story. What's Nicodemus doing? He's listening. He's listening to the story. He's listening to Jesus. He's listening more and more to him. He's going, no, I think there is a different way that you're calling me to live. No, I think there's a different work you want to do in and through my life. I think there's something different that you want to do. This this Jesus guy, he's starting to make sense. And here's what's beautiful about Jesus. Just because there wasn't that big baptism moment right there after he shared God's heart for Nicodemus, this is what we need to understand, that tough love has no finish line. God is not just loving you, hoping to convert you. Does God want you to follow him? Absolutely. Did God send Christ down to die for you? Absolutely. Does he love you even today if you're not willing to give your life to him? Absolutely. He's going, no, there's no finish line to my love. I continue to go after you. I continue to pursue you. Listen how the story ends up in John chapter 19. Jesus has gone to the cross to die for the sins of humanity, for your sin, for my sin. He is the example of tough love. He was the one who could have came out of heaven and said, you know what, y'all going to hell. I'm out of here. And he comes in and he loves the world and he lays his life down for the world. And listen what it says in John chapter 19, verse 38. It said, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. And with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. And he was accompanied by who? Gedemus. Isn't it amazing that the guy who at first was embarrassed to be seen around Jesus is now the guy who is publicly being recognized at the cross of Jesus. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, expensive stuff. And taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen 
This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. John is pointing out that there is something new happening. He's writing the word garden from Genesis chapter 1 because God is doing a new work through Jesus. And because it was the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. What's amazing about this story is this. Jesus met Nicodemus where he only wanted Jesus to be his teacher. But what we find is after a period of time, Jesus was no longer Nicodemus' teacher. What had he become? Savior. If you really want to begin to listen to Jesus, if you want to begin to be taught by Jesus, he's not asking if you want him to be your teacher. He's asking you to let him be your Savior. The question you and I got to ask ourselves today is this. Is Jesus our teacher or is is he our Savior? There's a big difference in there. Way big difference. And the beauty of the story of Nicodemus is this. Even when Jesus first met him, he didn't have it all together. He didn't understand everything. That's okay. For a lot of you, if you still don't have it together, keep coming. Keep feasting. Keep reading. Keep listening. Keep allowing God to speak into you. Because Jesus is meeting you right where you are. Right now, our volunteers are going to go back and get ready to serve communion. And we're going to do communion today a little bit different. What we're going to do is this. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life to him, if he's your savior, we do this here every week to remember, no, 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 he is the one who holds all of life together. And what we're going to do today is simply this. I want to invite you to just hold the communion if you're going to take it. Take the bread and the juice and hold it in your hands. And I'm going to come back here in a moment. I'm going to lead us through a time of communion. But today, maybe you're going, you know what, I'm I'm not there. Well, he's just a teacher to me right now. He's not my savior. What I want you to do is just take this time and begin to reflect on the scripture that you're going to see on the screen. And to begin to ask and be honest with yourself, why isn't Jesus your savior? He wants to meet you where you are. Maybe today you'll have a conversation with somebody afterwards. Or maybe you'll continue this journey of going, no, I need to learn more. I need to explore more. I need to ask more questions. That's what Nicodemus did. Then he found himself at the foot of the cross. So right now as the volunteers pass the communion, just hold the bread and the juice, and then I'll come back and I'll lead us through communion.